service, that life, it throws at us some pretty big punches, doesn't it? We take some hits. Sometimes it feels like that 330-pound lineman. Anybody ever feel that way? I know I do, often. It happens to all of us. You get a call from your child's teacher telling them that he's not doing so good in class. The refrigerator breaks on you, so you have to get it repaired. Your baby gets sick. A collector calls on a bill that you forgot about. A friend disappoints you. Your job gets stressful. Your body falls apart. Your house falls apart. Your car battery dies. And at the end of the day, you realize you still haven't paid your mortgage. And that's just been my life over the past two weeks. Each of you have your own story of trials, hardships, obstacles that you've had to work your way through. But whether you're a Christian here or not, here's the promise. You will face trials in life. In this life, you're going to have trouble. Life gets hard and then it gets harder. But the difference between us as Christians and the rest of the world is we got Jesus. We got the armor of God. See, we don't go into the situations defenseless. We are not of the hopeless variety. We are suited perfectly with the full armor of God. Over the past several years, I've had a saying that I've tried to live by. It's do hard things. Do hard things. I think it's a response to the fact that I see Christianity becoming, in many ways, a passive, wimpy, whiny, complaining, ineffective religion. Right? My job's too hard. My wife isn't nice to me. I don't feel good. I'm tired. I'm sick. Life isn't fair. I'm tired of mowing the lawn. I'm tired of doing the laundry. We as Christians, we sound and look a lot like the rest of the world. Yet as I read my Bible, every man and woman in this book that I look up to as my spiritual heroes did extremely hard things. Have you read it lately? They fought battles. They took down giants. They refused to bow down to false gods. They were thrown into lion's dens and burning furnaces. They preached and they were stoned to death. They were beat up, kicked out of towns, left for dead. And they walked 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 and they walked, sharing about God wherever they went. We see these men and uh, women of faith as our example in how to live. We see it so beautifully laid out before us. And yet we say, that's neat, Peter. You know, way to go, Peter. I'm glad you hung upside down on a cross for the Lord. That, that's really impressive. But for me, you know, I, I think I want a different version of Christianity. In fact, I know Jesus that you said if you try to hang on to your life that you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. I, I know that, but I don't know. It's just a hard teaching Jesus. And, and I don't think Jesus who loves me this. I know for the Bible told me so would want me to lose my life for him. No, I'm not going to sign up for that. Peter, I, I'll take version number two of Christianity where, where I just play it safe, kind of stay on the sidelines, not get too involved in church. Definitely don't tell others about Jesus. I'm, I'm just going to live a good life. I'm going to be nice to people. Try, try to be comfortable and happy. And then when I die, I'll use my get out of hell free card that I picked up when I accepted Jesus so that I can go to heaven. I think there's a lot of people out there with that mentality. And it's funny, but they're always the ones that are extremely concerned for those who are actually living the abundant, full, radical life that God has called us to live. Have you, have you noticed that? Right? An on-fire Christian makes them nervous. You know there were people around the Apostle Paul that were very concerned for him. Now, now Paul, you just got to cool it. Paul, do you realize what you're doing? It might end you up in prison. And then he'd end up in prison. And they'd say, see, Paul, I told you. I, I hope you've learned your lesson, Paul. He doesn't listen to them. He ends up in jail again. Now, Paul, this is getting ridiculous. Do you think Jesus would want you, want you to spend all your time in prison? Prison isn't God's plan for you. He has a hope and a future for you. You're hoping the future isn't behind bars. I can see Paul looking at them, just shaking his head. 
You don't get it, do you? And then he'd continue to live out God's call for his life. And along the way, he's beaten, he's whipped, he's left for dead, he's chased from villages, he's tortured for Christ. And I can see worrywart Christian over there on the sidelines shouting out, Paul, come over here, save yourself, stop preaching the gospel. Of course, Paul doesn't listen to that voice and he continues on his mission. And then I can see when Paul loses his life for the glory of God, being poured out like a drink offering. And that same person says, see, I told you. You wasted your life, Paul. You didn't get to see your grandkids or use your retirement or take that trip back to Ephesus or learn how to play the harp or pick up scribbage or tennis or whatever you do in retirement. Oh, Paul, what have you done? But whoever that person might be, that voice, that person is dead. They are long gone, dead and buried, without any lasting impact on my life or on yours. But Paul, the life of the Apostle Paul, has influenced millions upon millions of believers because he lived his days well. He followed hard after Christ. He fought the good fight. He finished the race and he kept the faith. And he did it all with the full armor of God. That's how I want to live my life. And, you know, it's easy to look that way from a stage with with these kind of lights and these kind of musicians. And and, and the reality is all you have to be really is a good actor who can put on a good performance, talk a good talk and try to look good doing it. But my hope is that my closest friend, that my wife, that my three kids see that I'm all in for Jesus, all in. In, fully devoted to him. I know that as spirit-filled believers, many of you in this room, you desire to live your life this same way. And part of this life of devotion, it's doing hard things. To have a faith that believes in the impossible, a faith that doesn't limit God, a faith that puts our beliefs into action. And I'm not perfect by any means in this area. In fact, often one of my most popular prayers is, Lord, in my unbelief, help me believe. I pray that all the time. It's, it's my way of acknowledging that I am desperate, desperate to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I have to be led by the Holy Spirit. I know that if I'm led by the Spirit, I can do what God has called me to do. But without Him, I am nothing. So I cry out, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I can't do this without you. And he's faithful to answer my cry. And he gives me a supernatural power to face the challenges of my day. In the flesh, often I would much rather run the other way. I would. Challenges sound tiring. Doing hard things. Doing hard things. Come on. It sounds painful. In my flesh, I'm so wimpy, but full of the Lord. I can face the obstacles. I can face the hardships and the challenges of life head on. You can too. So a kind of fun application of this idea happened to me this past weekend. I, I saw a Groupon. Normally I just pass through the Groupons because it's for like hot yoga or something like that. But I, I saw this one. It was for a seven-mile obstacle course. It was called the Seven Summits Adventure Race. And, and I signed up for it back in July when it was sunny and it was, you know, birds were chirping and I felt like I was kind of in shape. Well, it was just this last weekend. A lot has happened since the birds were singing. <laughs> So I put together a six-man team. Uh, it was my, my 44-year-old brother, Jeff, my brother-in-law, Adam, a girl named Shauna, and Colby Ferris, right over there, raise your hand, Colby, and Duncan Mayer, raise your hand, Duncan Mayer. All right. I had a thousand excuses 
why I shouldn't be doing this. I, I have bad knees. At the time, my neck, I could barely move it to the right. I've actually gained 32 pounds in the last year since I've become your senior pastor. Thanks a lot. I, th- there were just many reasons why this was not a good idea. But I didn't care. I was going to do it. And I did it. And I was very sore this last week. <laughs> I, I want to show you a video, actually, of me and my brother Jeff doing the last obstacle. There were 27 obstacles. This is the last one. We climbed up a 20-foot cargo net on one side. You're going to see what we did on the other side. I'm on the left. He's on the right. There we are. That was awesome. Come on. That was awesome. Awesome. That mattered to me. It did. It was a reminder to me once again that I can do hard things. That God will give me, that he'll give you the strength and the ability to do hard things. Most of the things, though, that we're called to do won't be as much fun as that obstacle course. It might involve you going on a 72-day foot-washing journey from Washington to California like Lane is going on. Is Lane in the house today? No, sir. So Lane. And then it might involve you going for over a month to Ghana like Ray Wright did. Ray Wright, would you raise your hand? Right over there. Absolutely. But more likely it's going to involve you if you're a teacher going into the school, maybe a teacher or a paraeducator employing your lives into students. Or it will involve you running a company or a small business and doing it right, not cutting corners or compromising. It might involve you being a student, going to school, studying late into the night for a test, doing homework, writing that term paper, and finishing what you started. It might involve you being a husband or a wife, son, daughter, a mom or dad. Whatever God has called you to do, there's a good chance that at times it's going to be challenging, even feeling impossible But you can do it as you put on the full armor of God. I declare this over every one of you in this room. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, show us once again what it means to live this Christian life. It's hard, but there's victory in you, Jesus. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we passionately pursue you today. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Ephesians. Ephesians is in the New Testament. I'm going to say it again. God eats popcorn. I don't know if he does, but Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It's right in the middle there. Turn it to the end. We're almost done. By the way, our next series is going to be in the Old Testament on the story of Elijah, so that's going to be fun. You're not going to want to miss that. But today, we're going to finish what Will so beautifully started last week. It says, finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on that full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up that shield of faith with which you can extinguish all those flaming arrows of the evil one. Take that helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I loved last week, by the way. I could have sat there and listened to Will talk for hours. He did such a great job of communicating this battle, this struggle that we are in. And it's not against flesh and blood, like he said, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some of you flat out don't believe in that stuff. The idea of evil forces working against you is kind of comical to you. You think of Star Wars, right? Or you picture that Arizona State sun devil. He's running around, chasing you, trying to stab you in the behind with that little pitchfork of his. There he is. Isn't he cute? I actually heard Walt Disney was the one that created him. There you go. That was for free. If you've read or watched the news lately... You've heard that one of our Supreme Court justices, Justice Scalia, he mentioned in an interview that he believes in the devil. This was really big news. It was shocking news. Now, Justice Scalia, whether you agree or disagree with his votes on various issues, he is Catholic. And in the matters of faith, he is stating something that mainstream Christianity believes. Yet his comments were met with ridicule and mockery. He was completely, very heavily mocked by the media for his statement. But this was the conversation between him and the reporter. Do you have the green mic on, Jonathan? Do you believe in heaven and hell? Well, of course I do. Don't you believe in heaven and hell? No. Oh, my. Does that mean I'm not going? Unfortunately not. Wait, to heaven or to hell? Well, it doesn't mean that you're not going to hell just because you don't believe in it. That's Catholic doctrine. Everyone is going one place or the other. But you don't have to be a Catholic to get into heaven? Or believe in it? Of course not. Oh, so you don't know where I'm going. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. I don't even know whether Judas Iscariot is in hell. I mean, that's what the Pope meant when he said, who am I to judge? He may have recanted and had severe penance just before he died. Who knows? Can we talk about your drafting process? You know, I even believe in the devil. You do? Oh, yeah, of course. He's a real person. Hey, come on. That's standard Catholic doctrine. Every Catholic believes that. Every Catholic believes this? You know, there's a wide variety of Catholics out if there. If you're faithful to Catholic dogma, that is certainly a large part of it. Have you seen evidence of the devil lately? You know, it's, it's curious. In, in the Gospels, the devil, he's doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot. That doesn't seem to happen much anymore. Nope. It's because he's smart. So what's he doing now? What he's doing now, he's getting people not to believe in him. And not believe in God. He's much more successful that way. That has really painful implications for atheists. Are you sure that's the devil's work? I didn't say atheists are the devil's work. Well, you're saying the devil is persuading people to not believe in God. Couldn't there be other reasons to not believe? Well, there certainly can be other reasons, but it certainly favors the devil's desires. I mean, come on. That's the explanation for why there's not demonic possession all over the place. That's always puzzled me. What happened to the devil, you know? He used to be all over the place. He used to be all over the New Testament. Right. What happened to him? He just got wilier. 
Yeah, he got wilier. Isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? You know, you're looking at me as though I'm weird. My God, are you so out of touch with most of America, most of which believes in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ believed in the devil. It's in the Gospels. You travel in circles that are so, so removed from mainstream America that you are appalled that anybody would believe in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. I loved reading that interview. It was very insightful. See, Scalia, he's right. Whether, again, whether you, uh, regardless of his politics, what he says is so true. The devil is getting people not to believe in him and not to believe in who? In God. Scalia says the devil's much more successful that way. Or even if we do believe in him, we turn him into that little cartoon character with that little pitchfork. That's exactly what the devil wants. Listen to what the Bible says about the devil. Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians, don't let, the, don't let Satan outwit us. He warns us to be aware of the devil's scheme. Sometimes it feels like he is being very successful at outwitting us, doesn't it? Because he's not that little powerless cartoon character. 1 Peter 5 eight, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He didn't go away. He's as real as ever. He's scheming. He's prowling like a lion looking for someone to devour. And so here we are with this very real enemy. And yet so many of us are not aware of his schemes. But the Apostle Paul, he warns us so that we can be aware, so that we cannot be caught off guard. Listen to what he says again in verse 10. One more time. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So Paul, he reminds us that our struggle, it isn't against humans, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil. Yet we miss this one and we mess it up all the time in our daily lives. We stay, we take our stand against the wrong enemy. We think our enemy is the person to our left or to our right. It happens all the time in marriages. It happens all the time in the family unit in general. Satan loves to convince us that the problem is our spouse. The problem is our parents or the problem are our kids. This is one of his most devastating schemes for Mary and I early on in our marriage. I was a music pastor in Spokane and we held these quarterly worship nights. These were amazing nights where we sang and we lifted up the name of Jesus. And before every worship night, Mary and I, we would get into the biggest fights. I mean, these were epic slam fest, WWE style. They were intense. Crazy things like I'm jumping out of cars while she's driving. She's screaming. She's slamming doors. She's kicking pets. We were nuts. And then there's Christmas, Christmas Eve and Easter. Both of those times, we would have five services on that day. And days before the service, I'd always get sick. It happened every time. I remember one time I just couldn't sing. My, my throat was completely swollen shut. I tried practicing in our basement. Mary comes down with the tears streaming down her face, yelling at me, would you just sing? That, that day, actually, I had to take a steroid to be able to loosen up my vocal cords so I can get through those verses. But as we walked through year after year of these struggles, we began to realize that it wasn't just coincidence. That something very intentional and strategic was happening to us. 
God opened our eyes to that truth and of what was going on. We became aware of the schemes of the devil, that he was flat out trying to discourage us and to defeat us. So I think it was about year three or year four, we began to pray together in advance of these worship nights. Even if we started to head down that road of an argument or heated discussion, one of us would quickly say, hey, I know what this is. The devil, he's trying to discourage us again. You know that he hates these worship nights. He's trying to cause division between us. And when we spoke this out loud, guess what? The fighting, it would stop. It was a miracle from the Lord. Once we realized what was going on, once we decided to stand firm with the full armor of God, something broke. We no longer fought before those nights. And to be honest, with that insight, with the ability to stand the effectiveness and the power of those nights, it shot through the roof. Now, with my sickness, I would, I would still get sick before Christmas and Easter. I still struggle with sickness. But instead of it defeating me or making me feel like I can't do it or maybe making me feel like I shouldn't do it, instead it fires me up even more because I see what the devil's trying to do. I recognize the spiritual battle that we are in and I say, no, we are doing this service. I stand my ground and I put on the full armor of God. Now, I know we probably shouldn't go around blaming the devil for everything, but church... Let's be aware of his schemes. Verse 10 again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Whose power? Whose power? That you would be strong in the Lord. Outside of Christ, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Jesus says in John chapter 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nada. You can do nothing. But with Christ, but with Christ... All things are possible. Why? Because in the Lord you are strong in his mighty power. Strong in your power? No, you're strong in his mighty power. And you need to be because the conflict it is so fierce and intense. It even feels impossible at times. When you're living for Jesus, in fact, you can guarantee that if you, if you live for Jesus, you are signing up for a spiritual battle. And you will need to be strong in his mighty power. But even now, some of you think I'm nuts. You think this is all crazy talk. You're in agreement with that reporter who interviewed the judge. Who really believes in the devil in today's society? And you're not alone. We, we as humans, we want to believe that there's no spiritual realm. There's no spiritual warfare. No evil forces opposing us. But when we think like that, it's at that moment the devil's got us right where he wants us, right? We're like sitting ducks. And he's ready to pounce. But that's why this is important. What we're doing right now. Life groups. Small groups, church services, living room prayers, church, the body of Christ is so important. Even if sometimes we struggle with what the Bible tells us, right? Ah, you've done that before. Like, ah, Peter, Paul, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Well, here's the deal. If that's you today, all you have to do is turn to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are alive right now, right here. And as you listen to their stories, they will remind you of the realities of the spiritual battle that is going on. You want to know if the spiritual battle is real? Talk to your elders. Learn from those who have walked with Jesus for a while. Talk to Ray or Bobby Wright. Talk to Catherine C. Talk to Pete and Monica Wilma or Wayne and Cindy Ferris. Talk to Debbie and Alan Kuykendall. Talk to Rich and Ju- uh, Terry Juman. Ask Ray and Marcy Mayer and countless others in this church who have walked with the Lord for a while and listen to their stories. Listen to their trials, their challenges, the times of intense oppression and struggle, and pay attention to how they made it through these intense times. These weren't coincidences, and they weren't accidents. There was a spiritual war going on. 
And they made it through these times of putting on the full armor of God. They knew that God had not left them defenseless. They knew that the full armor of God would give them the ability to stand. And by the way, to stand is the objective of the Christian warrior. To stand. That life with it hitting us from every angle, with the darts of the enemy being thrown our way, with darkness around us, that we would stand. That's what the scripture says. To stand. And like Pastor Randy said so well, some of you, the past couple of years, all you've been able to do is stand. Whether you've lost your job, or your spouse left you, or a loved one passed away. And yeah, I've seen you. I've seen you keep the faith with tears falling down your eyes. I've seen you continue to stand. Literally, maybe on your knees in despair, or in your bedroom, on your bed in sorrow. But I know in the spiritual realm. You're standing. And I'm continually moved by your testimonies because you are living proof of someone who is standing firm in the full armor of God. And before we move on to baptisms, I want to finish where we left off last week talking about this armor and what it looks like. Last Sunday, Will, he mentioned the belt of truth, the discount double check, and he talked about the breastplate of righteousness over your chest. So again, you're standing, you're standing firm, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And now verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, it could be talking about a readiness to go forward, right, with the gospel at any moment. Kind of like having an athletic stance where, where you're just ready to make our move. And what's our move? Our move being to share the gospel of peace. I kind of like that. I think it sounds good. But I don't think that's what this passage is saying. Instead, I see it that... See that we have this readiness for the battle because we have already received the gospel of peace. See, that's what makes us ready, meaning we already have it with us. The peace of God, which passes understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we have inner peace, which allows us to be able to face the challenges of our day, whatever they might be. I think that's one of the main signs of a spiritually mature Christian, by the way. It's the great paradox of the Christian life, that even in the midst of great trials and great challenges, the Christian walks through it all with the peace of God. That's what makes us different. But many Christians, they try to operate, they try to live the Christian life without peace. And we've convinced ourselves, this is another thing we've done, we've convinced ourselves that peace is found in the absence of conflict. Peace is found in the absence of conflict. So we remove ourselves from all of the challenges of life, right? We don't want to do anything hard, nothing that would require a lot of energy or spending a lot of time. So we don't attend a life group. We don't serve in the nursery. We don't sign up for the outreach event. We don't love the homeless. We don't tell other people about Jesus because I just need some peace. You ever done that? But we got it all wrong. I, I know I have, by the way, but we get it all wrong. We're running away from our personal calling. We're hiding from the things that God has called us to do because they're hard. And they might even require some blood, sweat, and tears. But avoiding those things will not bring you peace. No, listen, peace isn't found in the absence of conflict. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. I want to say that again. Peace isn't found in the absence of conflict. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is your peace, even in the midst of conflict. It's not peace that's based on circumstances. It's peace that's based on Jesus. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Say peace, peace. through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of 
of peace. It's that before Christ, you were at war with God. You were an enemy of God. But Ephesians tells us that when you became a Christian, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, including the blessing of being justified. Justified, which is declared righteous as though you had never sinned. You have been declared righteous, and now you are at peace with God. We were at war with God, but now through Jesus Christ, we are at peace. And there is no peace on earth that compares with the glorious truth that we now have peace with God. It's a message of reconciliation, by the way, us being brought back into relationship with our Heavenly Father through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And with this glorious truth strapped to our feet, we can walk anywhere because no matter where we go, no matter what obstacle or challenge we face, we walk into the room having peace with God and we bring that message of peace wherever we go. But first, you must ready yourself, prepare yourself with the gospel of peace. Amen. Amen. Many in this room, though, even as I'm talking, I I get it. You don't have peace. If I might be so bold right now, there is a war raging within you, a storm of fear, anxiety, worry and stress. It's out of control. And you need to release that control of your life back to God. Surrender to Jesus. Stop fighting and allow Jesus to give his righteousness to justify you. That gives you the peace with God. Then and only then you can stand in the battle with the gospel of peace strapped to your feet. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up that shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I love the idea of having a shield of faith. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen to be on guard and stand firm in the faith. Is this a faith in yourself? Is it a faith in yourself? No, No, it's a faith in God, a faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a shield of faith. So we're talking about protection, right? Protection. And I would just say this. Some of you kind of think, and we all do this, kind of think our best defense is to just go introspective, right? To go within ourselves. We're going to muster up some courage, right? We're going to muster up some strength. You ever done that? That is a recipe for disaster. We've all tried that plan. That plan is lame. It doesn't work. But in the midst of the darkness around you, your only true defense, your only shield is to be radically dependent upon the Lord. Where you are constantly looking heavenward, looking up toward God. That, the shield, that is the shield of faith. And this kind of holy surrendered faith, it's going to extinguish those little flaming arrows of the evil one. Whether it's a weapon of another man's tongue, right? People can say some darn evil things to us. Or if it's those arrows of sexual immorality or impurity or the darts of selfishness, pride and fear. They attack when our eyes are on ourselves, drawn within ourselves, instead of our eyes being fixed on who? Jesus. So if we're going to go into this battle plan with a shield, I would advise that you go into the battle with a shield. It's a good idea. You have to be consumed by the Lord and his Holy Spirit. A total reliance on God is the only thing that can put out those flaming darts. A sincere faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can deflect those weapons that are formed against us. Verse 17, take that helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. It's a good idea to have a helmet. Salvation. The amazing gift of God. You can't go into any battle as a Christian without it, right? Without salvation, you've got what? You've got nothing. When I took Ava out on her Dora the Explorer bike this past week, I taught her how to to ride her bike. Well, what did I strap on that little beautiful head of my daughter? A helmet. You bet. Salvation is the helmet. There's a slogan on all the packaging now. It says, helmets save lives. It's the helmet of salvation. It's just that ours doesn't have Dora on it. 
Let me explain salvation just a little bit. Salvation, it goes beyond that prayer that you prayed to receive Jesus into your life. Yes, it, it includes that, absolutely. It is the God of the universe saving me from the penalty of my sin, my sinning his son to die for me. Absolutely. But salvation is also God's continuing, ongoing help to protect me from the power of sin. Every day, God is saving us. Did you know that? Every day, God is saving me, protecting me from the power of sin. And then to take it one step further, this is really cool. The helmet of salvation reminds us of the truth that one day we will have final deliverance from even the very presence of sin. Amen. Hallelujah. What a day that will be. So praise the God who saves. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12. This is a good one to memorize. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of what? Of the heart. I would just say this. When Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, what did he use to combat those temptations? The word. He used scripture. He fortified himself with the knowledge and the understanding of the word. It's, it's very clear that knowing scripture is of great importance. I, I had a meeting with some of my leaders this week, and my message to them was clear. I said, your greatest act of leadership will not be in the eloquence of your words, whether you can give a great speech or sermon. It won't be what you say in front of a class or a Bible study. Those things are important, but an actor, a fake, can bring people to tears with the right amount of rhetoric and emotion. That's not leadership. Your effectiveness and leadership will be found in your passionate pursuit of God through worship, through prayer. And yes, your reading and meditation upon scripture, spending quality time with God, learning what it means to be a servant. Not when you're in front of a crowd, but instead when no one else is looking. That's leadership. To be engulfed by the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. To be immersed in the Word of God. Because if you live this way, it will affect everything you say and do, and you will be a difference maker for Christ. And this is true for every one of us in this room. You've got to be saturated in the truth of God's Word. Then and only then will you be able to what? Be able to stand. And you will stand full of the conviction and the power that comes by God's Holy Word. And you will be able to face the onslaught of the enemy. Buckle of truth, breastplate of righteousness, sandals of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, the word of God. And here's where I want to end it before we go into baptisms. If you look at this armor of God, I just want to say that it looks a lot like Jesus. Have you noticed that? That when you're putting on the armor, you are putting on Jesus. So if you're a Christian here this morning, stop trying to live this life even one single day without putting on Jesus. And for the rest of you who don't have Jesus in your life, you're in a world of hurt because this life is hard and then it gets harder. You, my friend, have no defense. You're defenseless. But the good news, and it is good news, is that Jesus today wants to be your defense. Buckle of truth. Who said I am the way, the truth, and the life? Who is that? Jesus, buckle of truth, breastplate of righteousness. The apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is our righteousness. Sandals, gospel of peace, Ephesians 2.14 says Jesus is our peace. Shield of faith, Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Helmet of salvation, Peter declares in Acts 4.12, salvation, it's found in no one else but Jesus. And the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the gospel of John, it tells us he, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. So remember that when you put on the full armor of God, you're putting on Jesus. And some of you right now, you know, you need Jesus. You know it. 
You know it. You know it. You're in a tough place. Maybe you've contemplated suicide recently. If not suicide, you've tried to medicate your problems with alcohol, drugs, or sex. Or maybe you're living the American dream, but it feels more like a nightmare. Today, today you know that the things of this world, they're not satisfying like you thought they would. They've all come short, leaving you empty and broken. But I want to tell you, Jesus satisfies. He's the only thing that satisfies. He's the only one who can take away your sins, clean your stains, and make you new. Don't you want to be clean? The Bible tells us that he makes us white as snow, that he brings us freedom from our sins, that he loves you and that he wants to be your Lord and he wants to be your Savior. And most importantly, he wants to spend time with you. He actually desires to have a relationship with you. And did you know that there's a spiritual battle going on even now? As I'm talking, Satan doesn't want you to turn to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, Satan loses. That's what the, the Bible tells us. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. The power of death has been broken by Jesus. And those of us who are in Jesus, we know we have eternal life with him. Satan and death has been defeated. But without Jesus, you are dead in your sins. But with Jesus, the truth is you are alive. And Satan doesn't want that for you. He wants you to believe that he doesn't exist. He wants you to believe that God doesn't exist. He wants you to live that boring, mundane life where you sleepwalk through life, wasting your time on mediocrity and lesser things. Satan, he will do everything, you, everything he can to keep you from experiencing that spirit-filled and joy-filled life. But I honestly believe that for some of you this morning, that can change. There's a part of you that wishes I'd just shut up. I get that. Just let you go home. Do the baptism. Get out of here. But at the same time, there's a deeper part of you that wants to have a relationship with Jesus right now. But the excuses, I get it. They're just flying through your head, right? What would the person to my left or to the person to my right think about me? What if I will embarrass you? What if my family members saw me? What would they think of me? But see, the battle... Remember, isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers of darkness in this world. Against spiritual wickedness. And today, you can find victory in that spiritual realm in the name of Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors in the name of Jesus Christ. Satan has to flee in the name of Jesus Christ. You, my friend, can be set free in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to do. So that nothing keeps you from making the decision to follow Christ. I want every one of us to bow our heads and to close our eyes. If you want to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if you want to make the decision to follow him, to have a new life in him where your sins are forgiven and that you have that promise of eternal life, I'd love for you to look at me right now. Just make eye contact with me. And don't, don't look down until you see me. You bet. I just want you to know that God loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he cares for you, that he's so proud of you. For you just standing and standing and, and this world has been hitting you, but you continue to stand. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Look at me with your eyes. Let me see your eyes. I'd love to pray with you. This is a moment. This is an opportunity. To turn. To live for better things. For greater things. Not for the things of this world. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you. 
And God's even prouder of you. The stand that you've taken in your life, with everything that's in your life, the the hardships of your life, the busyness of your life, you say, God, I'm going to carve out time for you. God, I love you. Look at what you've done. I'm so proud of you. Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else willing to take that stand? I want to pray with you. I want to acknowledge before the Lord that you are His. You are His. Amen. Hallelujah. Would we all just pray this together? Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Make me new. I believe you died for me so that I can live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you boldly for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. It belongs to you. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.